Hey, welcome everyone to I So Appreciate You, an honest, raw, and sometimes funny podcast about work, community, life, and all the other stuff we juggle. Hi, I'm Pohua. And I'm Nadej, and we're colleagues at the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation. In addition to that, we're friends. And so when we talk, our conversations can run the gamut. We can start talking about board meetings and governance procedures. We can get into mother-daughter dynamics, and then we can be like, where are we going to dinner tonight? I prefer that conversation. And so we thought that maybe some of you would like to join us in conversation. So here we are with I So Appreciate You. Welcome to today's episode where we're going to talk about reimagining work. And so much to reimagine because it's so very different than it was, I don't know, 18 months ago. Or It's been the same for me. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, you started at the foundation literally in the like heart of COVID. I You're- interviewed during COVID, got the job during COVID. I've only been to the office for four days and like not in a row. <laughs> That's Fully ridiculous. But okay, we could talk about the office, which is a lot of fun. But what I really want to ask you about is your current office, that home office. Mm -hmm. So for months, you've been working from home. There have got to be some good stories about that experience. Well, my home office is is right now my TV room. So I never had a home office. And here's why I'm going to tell you that people don't tell you in the design magazines, open concept does not work for work from home. Okay. I know my husband's going to listen to this show because he, he's been listening to the podcast. So I, I will just say this. There are some keyboards that are very loud. Okay. Say more. No, I can't. I really can't. <laughs> Don't put me in that spot. I, I just, I, I didn't realize I was living with a loud typer. Aha. I see. I see. I say that with love. Of course. All the love. And so I, I can't work in the open environment space, even though it gives me a prettier backdrop. So I've relegated myself to the TV room, which is the only room in my house besides the bathrooms where there are full walls and a door. Oh my goodness. Well, what I'm going to say is at least it sounds like once you found that room, you had separate spaces to work. You didn't share an office. No, that's true. I did not share an office, but you're looking at me like you do. Oh, well, not anymore, thankfully. Okay. But during during the part where we were all locked down, my husband and I did, in fact, physically share an office. People did not understand how close we were. But if we both stretched our arms, our, our fingertips would have touched. And what I learned yeah. about the way that he works is when he takes a phone call, he paces. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden, I was seeing somebody in the back of my Zoom backgrounds <laughs> and realized we had to make a little bit of an edit to how we shared that space. You guys space. are doing Zoom meetings together in the same room? We were. I'm, okay. I, am, I am confident that there are days where he could have been done hearing my voice. Yeah. And I also feel like I know the precise moment that he shifts into full-on lawyer mode because I can hear the tonal shift. The lawyer voice. It's a serious voice. Did you have a lawyer voice? Yeah, probably. I want to know that lawyer <laughs> voice. I hope it comes out at some point. Hopefully not on this show. But, you know, when I think about what we've done, you know, we have these ridiculous moments with with our spouses in our space. But the reality is all of us have been trying to figure this out from top to bottom. You know, how we do this in our offices, out of our offices, kind of in our offices in a hybrid way. And I don't know about you, but I have heard so many times in the last little bit. So, hey, what are you guys? What's the foundation doing? Yes. In the next stage. That's right. That's kind of your job. I mean, you head our operations And so you have to come up with the plan for the plans for us to come back. Absolutely. But here's the crazy thing. Mm. 
it's always iterative. Yeah. So, you know, when COVID started, we all got sort of pushed out of our workplaces at the same time. And so that was in some ways kind of easy. It was a panic and a crisis, yeah. but in retrospect, kind of easy because everybody had the same facts at their disposal. But as we sort of go on and things change and some people have started going back and some people haven't, it really has forced us, and forced is probably the wrong word, but it really has pressed us to make decisions that are consistent with our values. Yeah. Because if we make a decision because company B did something or company Q did something, that might work for them and it might be great, but it might not work for us and our staff and our staff size and our culture and the way that we need to get our work done as a foundation. And so it's, it's a lot of moving pieces. You would think that it's about operations, but it's as much operations as it is culture and feeling and, you know, how people are going to adapt to the way that we work. And I think you're absolutely right about living out our values. So one of the things that happened on my team was we are the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation. Yet on my grants team, in my community impact team, we did not have a team member that represented Greater Minnesota. And this opportunity of working from home, I think allowed us, or like you said, encouraged us to think differently. And so when we had a vacancy on the team and we were looking for a new team member, we were open. I think more open than maybe we might've been if we were all reporting to the office. And so we in fact did hire someone from outside of the Metro. And I think it served not only our team, but I think it better serves the mission of being you know, the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation. What I really love, and love is going to sound like a weird word associated yeah. with COVID, is that this crisis forced us all to think differently. It forced us all to figure out how to do old things in new ways and sort of shed some of the processes that we didn't need. And I'll acknowledge that, you know, we have a lot of privileges. And by we, I mean the fact that the foundations are office jobs and the fact that right. we had the tools that allowed us to go remote. And then even more specifically, you and I have privileges in the fact that we have the spaces to carve out to work from home. We don't necessarily have households full of people or right, small right. people distracting us I during the day. I have a TV day. room I can convert. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's totally right. And I just think that I'm really excited to, to dig into this conversation in a little bit with our guests because they come at it from a different perspective. And so, you know, after the break, we're going to come back with Alex West Simon and Melissa Miro Lemaire, and they're going to share their perspective on the work, the life, the balance, and how COVID maybe screwed that all up. I so appreciate you is just one of many initiatives we're working on at the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation. Want to learn more about how we aim to create an equitable, just, and vibrant Minnesota? Join our email list by visiting us at spmcf.org. While you're there, make sure to check out our blog and follow us on social media. Welcome back. We are excited to welcome two guests today. First, we'll be joined by Alex West Diamond. In a little bit, we'll be joined by Melissa Miro Lemaire. For those who don't know Alex or Melissa, here are a few things they have in common. They are badass female leaders. They were 40 under 40 honorees. They've both worked in politics and they both have adorable small humans that call them mom. So Alex, to kick off our interview with you, we do one thing with all of our guests. We ask them three quick questions and Nadej is gonna have that honor today. All right, Alex, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so the first question is spring or fall? 
Ooh, well, my birthday's in the spring, but I do love the beautiful colors of fall. So maybe both. (laughs) Right. I feel like that's the cop-out answer, but we'll let it slide this time. Okay. Number two, Harry Styles or Harry Belafonte? Oh my gosh. This is so hilarious. Um, Maybe neither. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. All right. Last one. Pahua and I are old school, so hopefully the abbreviations mean something to you. M-O-A or M-I-A? Well, I have two little kids, five and seven years old, and they would uh, kill me if I didn't say the Mall of America. So <laughs> M-O-A for sure. Oh, perfect. All right. Well, thank you for indulging us in that. So, you know, before we kind of jump into this conversation, I wanted to share this meme. I, I, I think I saw it on Facebook first, but I've since seen it like 17 more times because everybody keeps sharing it. So I'm going to read it to you and just see like how that hits you. And it goes like this. You are totally replaceable at work. You are not replaceable at home. Home is your real life. Keep that perspective always. Wow. Uh, it speaks to, you know, how much stock we put into our workplace being a, such a strong part of our identities. Um, and, and so much so maybe that, um, you know, we forget about the other pieces of our lives. Um, I've certainly been there as a working parent, um, as an entrepreneur, and previously having worked in, um, you know, advertising and in corporate settings. So, um, yeah, it resonates deeply. I think we do. We, it's a good reminder that, you know, we're more than our paycheck. We're more than our job. Alex, for those who don't know you, other than the quick bio snaps that I've already uh, spoke about, you are the co-founder and CEO of The Coven. And yeah. I wanted to ask you, what was it already like at The Coven pre-COVID? So when we started The Coven, we, we did it because we knew that women, non-binary and trans folks needed the physical and psychological safety that it takes to develop a bias for risk-taking and action. And that's really what The Coven has been all about. It's about gathering in community, being together and supporting one another. And so not only do we have kind of the physical co-working space where people, you know, gather and, and connect, um, yeah. but we offer a number of events, you know, they used to be in person around personal and professional development to really help you take that next step in your career um, or launch your business baby. And so, you know, really what it was like there was just, you know, this bustling community of, it was at the time about 500 people. I didn't realize it was so many. Yeah, 500 that's people. a lot. Well, now we're at about a thousand members, so we've done better coming out of the pandemic. I'll tell you now that people are, um, you know, regathering. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that too. But you know, really, before it was, it was all about kind of being in person and gathering and connecting with one another. So, you know, I'd love to touch a little bit about how COVID, you know, fundamentally changed. I think some of the core, because you talked about gathering and you talked about space, and and the Coven spaces are physically gorgeous. When COVID hit, what changed? You know, how did you have to pivot the way that you worked? Yeah, it's a great question and, and a good story, I think. Um, you know, it shows kind of the resilience of our business. You know, we opened the St. Paul location, which is our second location, just six weeks before COVID hit really strongly and, and you know, caused a lot of people to close their doors, yeah. um, either temporarily or permanently. And so, you know, we had a celebration of about 300 people <laughs> in our St. Paul location, which is like wild to think about all of those yeah. humans in one spot. 
But it was such an amazing celebration. So many folks from both cities and across the state came to, you know, see what is this business all about and what does this expansion mean for the community? And, you know, when we had to close our doors just six weeks later, it wasn't even a question to us that we had to keep our community connected. Within 24 hours of temporarily shutting our doors for safety of our community, we launched a digital digital option for folks to engage with us virtually. And so, you know, we started hosting Zoom events, you know, two to three a day. What Maybe it was a coffee check-in in the morning, a lunch work session where people could kind of co-work together virtually, and then maybe an evening, either happy hour or a you know, a learning opportunity where we would tap a expert in a specific topic to come and speak on how, you know, how do you ask for more money when you're, you know, now stuck at home? How do you start a business in this new economy? And it was a lot of learning for the first, you know, handful of months. I'd I'd say we're still learning, um, you know, how to engage and how people want to learn. It was so incredible. We partnered with many different organizations, Lunar Startups for one, to to host entrepreneurial events to make sure that our community had the resources that they needed because there were so many, you know, grant opportunities and, you know, things that were uh, resources and, you know, survival (laughs) survival (laughs) strategies that were coming out that, you know, not everybody had access to. And so that was, you know, really where we where we focus our energy and we doubled our membership in four months because people were so interested in um you know, needing to belong and needing to stay connected to one another. That's really fantastic. But I'm not going to pretend that I didn't catch that you said within 24 hours we... <laughs> That's what I want to know. And I'm thinking back to, you know, you have small humans. You know, yeah. you have you have the family to take care of. Tell me how you sort of managed and navigated this fundamental shift and, and how you sort of balanced the everything of it all. You know, first of all, my husband is also an entrepreneur and works a corporate job. And so, you know, we both have an understanding that we're going to figure it out together. And we've been together since high school. So we've pretty much grown up together and know kind of when one needs to step up and the other, you know, needs to do what they need to do to keep the business running. And I think I when I think about balance, I think about it as an action. It's not something that it's not a destination. It's not somewhere that I'm constantly aspiring to be. Mm. It's a, you know, when you balance on a one foot, all the muscles in your foot are moving, all the muscles in your body are, you know, pivoting and changing. And that's really what I think of balance as. There are days where I get to put my kids to bed. Um, and there are days where I get to make sure that my business is still running. So and they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but I find that taking the pressure off of like seeking balance really helps uh, as an entrepreneur and knowing that there's other people who are going through the same thing. You know, you're not alone in this. I think our community is what really keeps me going in those moments of, you know, holy crap. (laughs) I love that image of balance. I like it that you describe it not as a static position. You're engaging um, many different aspects of your life to find that balance. I love that. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, well, and it's it's not easy. I think when you have kids, you know, they have expectations of you, and they're they're not static either, right? They're yeah. constantly changing. They are definitely and, not yeah. static. No. Yeah, yeah, they're constantly changing, and their needs are changing. And you know, I, my kids went to elementary school for the first time this year. You know, which brings on a whole other slew of activities and parent obligations that you know I've never done before. So you know, I think I take I take those things in stride of always learning and new things don't scare me. <laughs> so when you did flip the switch and you know started a virtual community for your members, 
what were some of the things you learned? Like, what were people in need of? And certainly they were already in need of a community, but what else in that virtual space? What were some things that surprised you? I think one thing that surprised me was the continued need of belonging. Like, I think, you know, you can't undervalue that. I think community is one thing, like being in proximity to one another, but really feeling like you belong in that space is different. When we opened our physical spaces, that was kind of key for us, was how do you create a space where marginalized communities feel welcome and like the spaces for them, folks who traditionally are left out of rooms, see themselves in the room. And I think it's harder to translate that virtually because you can't feel people's energy through the internet. And so that was something that, you know, we had to learn how to do. And maybe it was a few check-ins before we started programming where we would check in with folks and say, hey, how are you doing? Before we talk about this really complex subject like finance, let's talk about how you're doing mentally and emotionally. And opening it up for people to be vulnerable in the space, us as founders being really vulnerable in the space, really gives people that opportunity and kind of space to step into belonging. And, you know, I think our community in general has just been so incredible with one another. But that was a real surprising thing for me was that it wasn't just flipping the switch. Right. It wasn't literal. You know, it wasn't like just we could immediately make what we did physically, digitally. And it took some time to kind of navigate how do we do that. But I think our community told us what to do. People opened up about what they wanted to see. And and I think that's the key here is consistent listening. I think that's what a lot of organizations, you know, are trying to do now is like, how do we listen and then hold ourselves accountable to our people? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, what you're saying, I'm hearing all over from folks in all sorts of industries. So we all pivoted and jumped into new things. And I think we all learned some things that we didn't need to do anymore that we were doing sort of all the time before COVID that we thought that we we thought were critical and important and the you couldn't undo them did you have any of those ahas do you have any things that you're like I'm not going back to that we're not going back to that it's unnecessary I think there's this notion of boundary setting that's really important you know when you're an entrepreneur you kind of shed all your boundaries because you're just hell-bent on keeping this thing alive it's like when you have a baby you know (laughs) like well (laughs) The baby needs to eat. So there's like no sleep for me. Um, And I think that's kind of one of the things that I I think I learned throughout COVID was like, I got to have some kind of boundaries because I do have, I have actual babies who need to eat and they need my attention in this really uncertain time. And it was hard to do that when I'm working long hours into the night because there is no separation from work and home physically anymore. And so I had to consistently remind myself to check those boundaries, to turn off the computer, to turn off my phone, to leave my devices in another room and really engage with my kids and my family at home. And it it was, you know, maybe much but much more healthy mentally doing that. And I think like that practice is something that I'll continue to work on. There is no like going back to normal, but we've certainly stepped into whatever this new phase of a pandemic is um, where, you know, people are seeing each other in person. My kids are going to school. I get to work from wherever I want, but I, it's still easy to just, you know, plow through and keep working when they come home. So I think that's one thing that I definitely learned and, and that I think all of us as co-founders and as a team kind of have imparted with our staff as like, you got to turn it off. Like, and this is, this is an okay time to turn it off. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. Any advice that you would give businesses, employers, employees, and how to take COVID learnings into, into the future? I think there's this idea that your identity is 
wrapped in your workplace. And, and that's certainly true. So many people feel like their careers are, are a, a definer of their lives. But we're seeing with this great resignation or great reset or whatever we want to call it, where right. people are leaving their organizations because they don't feel connected to them. They don't feel valued. They don't feel like they belong there anymore. And that is something to think about is it's not about they're not, you know, it might be that they're not getting paid enough, but it might also be that they don't feel like they belong in that space. And we just recently did a study about identity in the workplace and it it happened to be pre-COVID and it really resonates with post-COVID notions of, you know, especially women, non-binary, trans folks, people of color, and black women who are saying, hey, this isn't where I want to be because I don't see myself here. I don't yeah. belong here. And if organizations are not going to take the actions needed to make belonging a part of their values, a part of their mission, and really put action towards it, and then hold themselves accountable to it, they're going to continue to see people leave. We've been working with a lot of different organizations to help them build more inclusive workspaces, and that's something that we're really passionate about because we certainly don't want to like hold the chest like whatever magic we have <laughs> in our space. Um, we think that everyone deserves a, a better future of work, and I think it's important for employers to recognize that they don't have to have all of the answers, but they do need to do something, and that involves listening, taking action, and holding themselves accountable. That is perfect advice. So all of you listening, take it and run with it. Alex, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and chatting about work and COVID and life. And we want to let you get back to those small humans because they <laughs> yes. deserve as much of your time as you can you make available to them. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. All right. And now we are joined by Melissa Miro-Lamir. And Hi, Melissa. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be with you. All right, Melissa. So before we kick off every conversation, every interview, we do this thing uh, where we ask our guests three quick questions. You ready? I am. Uh, first question, spring or fall? Fall, no doubt. All right. You're sure. That was, that okay. was really this assertive. A, this is a lawyer talking. Okay. <laughs> Harry Styles or Harry Belafonte? Belafonte. All right. M-O-A or M-I-A? Oh, that's tough. I love to shop. I'm not going to pretend, but I have to go MIA. All right. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Man, I love that. You were just on it with those with those answers. The most decisive guests we've had so far. I, I would say so. I would say so. <laughs> well, before, Melissa, before we started talking with you, we had a chance to talk to Alex uh, West Steinman about kind of her, her work life and experiences, you know, during COVID and some of the learnings she picked up. And you know, her perspective as a founder of The Coven, sort of a very interesting and maybe different space than a partner at a law firm at uh, Maslin LLP. <laughs> and so we'd really love to talk to you about that same experience, but from your vantage point, because you just, you came at it very differently. So I'm just going to kick it off and say, before COVID, if you can remember, can you remember? <laughs> I think so. I think so. I have to try, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, what was, when you think about work and life and balance, what was that for you? There was very little balance involved, certainly. Oh, okay. Actually, no, we're talking pre-COVID, right? Yep. Yeah. So pre-COVID, that looked a lot like, um, well, it looked pretty similar to now, I guess what I'll say is because I think as a, 
as a lawyer and, you know, maybe especially as you kind of progress through the ranks at a law firm, you are kind of on call all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like I can shut off at five or six and spend hours upon hours with my family and then clock back in in the morning, you know, with phones and remote access, even when you were working primarily in an office, I was kind of on all the time. But my kids were in school, like physically in school. Right. Um, My husband went to work. And so there would definitely be days when I could choose to work from home and catch up on laundry or throw dinner in a little early. And that if I could do that once or twice a week, it would feel like I could achieve something resembling balance. But it was always sort of haphazard, I will say. Okay, so you've said pre-COVID and post-COVID, there might not have been a lot of difference for you. But post-COVID now, so we've been in COVID almost two years. Yeah. What are some of the differences? The biggest differences are that things kind of blend together, right? Like when you primarily work in an office, um, it is, you can leave some things behind and you can kind of plan what work you're taking home for the day. You can map out how much time you're going to spend logged in and really engaged with your work from home. That's a lot harder to do when the lines become really blurry and you're just sort of working all the time. And so my schedule has really changed because I can no longer control it. A lot, a big part of that, frankly, is childcare, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, my kids, I've got three kids, a nine-year-old and uh, twins that are five. So when the world shut down, they were just home. Um, and I'm an employment lawyer, and so I was at my very busiest because my clients were yes. in crisis. You know, they were in crisis. They needed Absolutely. Help. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so the whole blending thing that you just mentioned, the jury's still out with me. I don't know whether I like that. What about you? I mean, I mean, did, did, was it nice to have your kids with you? Because I, as... As someone who's been on Zoom and you've been on Zoom, it was such a nice break to see the kids in the in the background in the middle of the meeting. But I'm guessing it w- might not be all that fun for you or the parents that I know. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of sleep involved, so that part got old really fast. It, you know, I mean, I always I like I am one of those people who tries to look for silver linings. I think probably most of us do, and so there there was I think an increased closeness among my kids. Yeah, I did like getting to sort of see them and their relationship grow as siblings. That's something that I really enjoy. Yeah, there's like a real, you know, the like law of diminishing returns. I get kicked in pretty quickly, and I very much would have liked to send them to a safe and competent facility for several hours a day pretty quickly there. Yeah, I suppose that that makes sense. I, you know, certainly had the luxury of a college-aged daughter, so I didn't have to worry about that, but I completely understand. Melissa, thinking about law firms and, you know, my vague memory of what that life was like, mm-hmm. how are you seeing changes being implemented as a result of COVID? I mean, obviously, everyone went home and figured out how to work remotely, but like now we're sort of creeping back in. Like, what are you seeing that's different than it was before? You know, you you know this, Nadege. We are a single office law firm in Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis. We've always had a not just primary work from the office model, but like a a basically exclusive work from the office model. Mm. As we've been remote for the last more than a year and a half now and seen that we can do it, our people can get the work done and do it really well. And we have to get creative about, you know, building culture and maintaining culture and 
connecting teams, we can achieve the goals of our clients and of our firm in a remote environment has caused us to evaluate who we're willing to hire and where from. And so we've actually just hired two or three attorneys who are out of state and do not intend to relocate here. And that is a big change for us. And I know that other Mm -hmm. firms are doing something similar. I think it's especially important for firms that are in places like Minnesota that may not be the most diverse. Yes. All of us all of a sudden you realize, holy cow, I can recruit people from anywhere. I'm not limited to the pool of applicants that are, you know, physically located here. And so you can really, you know, reach a different segment of the pool of candidates than you could otherwise. And so it has allowed us to recruit some really fabulous attorneys from historically excluded communities that we couldn't have hired if we had remained, you know, very stuck in that primarily uh, office environment. That is a silver lining. I think that's like the big gold star. That's amazing. Just thinking about all of the the challenges that all industries, but it's, you know, the legal industry thinking about recruiting. I love that you all are doing that now. You know, I think it takes, I mean, there are some firms that are primarily remote and always have been. And so there was very little adjustment for them involved uh, in this as a result of the pandemic. But it took seeing this really work out for a while for us to believe that it could work. The next challenge, of course, is figuring out now how do you help those new attorneys or those new, you know, employees feel like they are connected to you and they have some meaningful role on the team? How do you build culture, replicate your culture, or evolve your culture in a way that really includes them? Thank you. What about, well, when we talked with Alex, she mentioned that that sense of belonging was really important too. And so it's good that you're thinking about ways in which you might do that with these new employees that will be joining you. Certainly that's something that you're going to keep. Are there any things you would get rid of? Uh, you know, I listened to your first episode. I loved it. Oh, thank you so oh. much. Yeah, and you might be of, the first guest who's told us that. <laughs> well, and when, you know, you were talking a lot about dress codes and how we've seen how that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Yes. Um, or at least shouldn't. I think that the legal profession is probably going to be fairly slow to adopt that mindset. But I hope that we do. I hope that we can kind of recognize that these people that we have seen in action, we know to be really talented professionals for the last year and a half, two years, that they are still those same competent people when they show up in jeans and a t-shirt, right? Yeah. So I hope that we do away with these sort of stodgy ideas about what a professional looks like. And I have to offer a quick story there. Please. Because... So, you know, Nadege and I go way back. We do. It's what I've heard. In fact, when I was not, I had not yet worked a day at this law firm, but I uh, knew Nadege and knew, I, I had met her through the interview process and I knew that she worked here. And she was the only person that I felt comfortable asking, what do I do about my tattoo? Mm. Do I have to keep my tattoo covered? You know, she gave me some good advice and it was, you know, based on what would, how things would be perceived here and how it wouldn't be. And I was very appreciative of that, very appreciative that she made me feel comfortable enough to ask that question. So now I'm like really enjoying seeing attorneys show up when we do have in-person events. 
openly showing their tattoos and having no qualms about it. And nobody else has any qualms about it either, right? Yeah. Because we are evolving. And so I hope we can take that to the next level and just kind of really embrace that when people feel comfortable showing up authentically, that's a retention tool. Right. This is not, we're not like slipping in our standards. We are allowing people to be themselves and bring their A-game to, you know, the work. And that's important. I love that. I love that because that really gets to it. And and I love the fact that if somebody asked me that same question now, Melissa, as good as I thought my advice was to you then, based on current standards, I would give them totally different advice now. You would. <laughs> and and I'm so glad we're kind of at that point. You know, it's always so great to talk to you and to sort of reminisce down memory lane a little bit. And, you know, before we wrap up, we just want to give you, you know, one last opportunity to share, you know, anything that, that really maybe stuck with you from the last 18 months, two years that you're really going to take with you as you think about the future of work and the future of life and and the commingling of the two? Absolutely. You know, I, I have the great privilege of meeting a lot of different clients, business owners and business leaders in my job. I've learned a lot about what makes a successful enterprise and what can hold organizations back. Mm-hmm. The thing that I really hope those successful entrepreneurial organizations think about right now is that The remote environment is a real opportunity for you to evaluate what it is about your in-person environment that has made it difficult to achieve your diversity, equity, and inclusion objective. I think in particular about this study that came out earlier this year, uh, early 2021, by Slack. It was like the, the Future Forum, I think is what it's called, but it's an organization put together by Slack that found that only 3% of black knowledge workers were uh, willing to go back to the office full-time, but seven times that many white knowledge workers were. What is it? What is it that makes the in-person workplace so untenable Mm -hmm. for black workers? And how does that extend to other workers of color? And what can we do right now to change our culture so that our employees are no longer feeling so excluded that they can only work if they don't have to be around us. So I hope that employers are thinking about that. I hope that organizations are thinking about that and that they're really making an, an, a genuine commitment to that vulnerable reflection that's required to build a sense of belonging and uh, inclusion for employees. That is a powerful message to leave absolutely with I us just, and to our listeners. So thank you for that. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be with you. It was great talking to you, Melissa. Yeah. Great to talk with you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Wow, Nadege. Those were amazing conversations, first with Alex and then again and then with Melissa. I can't agree anymore. It it was just so fascinating how different they are in the work that they do and how they show up, but how similar they are in that that core value. That core value of making sure we carry forward the belonging and letting people show up as they really are was part of both conversations. Creating that space for people. You're absolutely right. So that they can show up as their full selves. Yeah. Always thankful when we get to have smart people tell us things to, to give us things to chew on. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You. You can find us on Facebook at I So Appreciate You Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at So Appreciate You. We'd also appreciate you taking a moment to leave us a review. And if you like our show, be sure to follow I So Appreciate You on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Have a question or a topic suggestion? 
email us at podcast at spmcf.org. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You.